Well, what a great intro. I feel like I'm going to get the podcast of today, and I'm just going to play that back to myself every single morning before I go to work, because I'll just feel very empowered when I do. So thank you for that. It is great to be here. It's great to be back amongst family and friends. We have a long history with Loughborough and with some of the people in this room. Um, we lived in Coldwell Street for many, many years. Um, I lived with Andrew and Trenner. So in fact, it, it's any wonder Andrew and Trenner chose to have children because before they had children, they sort of had good practice with me, really, just being in their home for several summers as I came back to date this young lady from Loughborough, uh, who later became my wife, Leah. Um, Gareth and Sandra, just been part of our lives for many years. It, it, you know, just want to honour you guys this morning, want to honour Andrew and Trenner. Can we just give these people a round of applause just to say what a rich heritage we have in the room. And um, I need to also mention my cousin Andy, or he will later just get a little bit annoyed and narked at me. <laughs> Love you, bro. <laughs> so, Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for the privilege of just experiencing your presence in this place. And we do pray that with the rest of your time that your name would be lifted higher. Thank you, Lord, that has been shared this morning that you are our hope, that hope is here and hope has a name and that name is Jesus, not some far off idea or theology or concept or program. It's you, Jesus. So we pray that in this day that you will manifest yourself amongst us. That is, be with us powerfully present in this room so that you feel at home to do what you do. And in that doing only what you can do, we pray that lives will be changed in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've got a really simple message this morning because I'm probably quite a simple guy. And that is that I want us to take a fresh look at Jesus. And it was great last week when Gareth shared about encountering Jesus. Because encountering Jesus is the thing. It's not like we graduate from that. It's not like as Christians or as those exploring faith, we say, okay, well, I've done that, and now what's next? That is the thing. And over the last probably two, three years since before the pandemic, my wife and I, my family, we've been on a great period of change in our lives. Anyone that's known us for a long time, we've changed jobs in many ways. Our family situation has changed. And when you're going through change, change is hard, isn't it? Should we just call it what it is? Because when you go through change, you have to leave some stuff behind. And when you start to leave stuff behind, it becomes a little bit unsettling and scary. Because you start to think, maybe some of the things that I'm leaving behind, maybe they were my identity, or maybe they were my purpose, and maybe my best days were yesterday, and maybe what's tomorrow is not going to be as good as what came before. And you begin to become unsettled in yourself. And when you're going through change, sometimes you've got to let yourself grieve. And you've got to say that yesterday was tough. And that even in our todays, there's a sadness to it. But when you're going through change, you also have to look ahead to the future and say, what is my hope? Where is my anchor? And the reason why I want to say, I want to focus on taking a fresh look at Jesus this morning is that I found that in the midst of change, in the midst of transition, in the midst of turbulence, in the midst of when everything feels like it's been shaken, he is the one. He is our one. He is God's answer for us. He is God's hope to us. So would you join me for a few moments this morning and taking a fresh look at Jesus? Can we do it together? Whatever you think you know about Jesus, can we just look again? 
You know, we, we talk about taking a second look at things. And sometimes that first look can have lasted years. It might have lasted your whole life. But this morning, can we take a second look at him? And when we do, I promise you, we'll find you something that will not only shape our lives, it will form this community. Because I know right now we're in a series, aren't we, on forming communities. And if we want to form community, we have to look again at Jesus. So that's my simple invitation. Okay, let's start with a stat. I like stats. 2.38 billion. 2.38 billion. What's that got to do with why we're in this room this morning? Anybody want to hazard a guess? 2.38 billion. Yeah, it's the number of people. Ding, ding, ding. I wish I had a prize for you. <laughs> well done. <laughs> you can go home knowing that you got it right today. Um, 2.38 billion people are professing Christians. So they have some sort of connection. They call themselves a Christian. That is approximately one in three people on this planet. Wow. Amazing. But also quite scary. <laughs> because if 2.38 billion people really call themselves a Christian... And really did it, wouldn't the world be maybe a different place than what it is today? So it causes us to ask this question of ourselves and we start to think and it's the way my brain goes, okay, is then there a difference between being a Christian and being a disciple, a follower of Jesus? And probably we could give all sorts of nuanced answers to it, but probably the simple answer is yes. There is a difference between being somebody who practices Christianity and believes in God and actually has chosen to follow this Jesus that we're talking about today and saying, I'm going to make myself a disciple. That is an apprentice of you. Church of England priest Chris Rogers says this, at its heart, the church has to be disciple making, not just believer making. Isn't that interesting? Is that it's, it's very easy for us to say, well, I believe all these things, but what does that actually mean? What does it look like in our daily lives? He goes on to say this, Jesus is not looking for more believers. He's looking for people who will give everything of themselves to his mission to change the world. That is that Jesus is looking for people who will follow in his footsteps. That they'll say, I love you so much, I'm so passionate about you that I want to follow you. And maybe that's the difference between being a Christian and being a disciple. It's found in those two simple words, follow me, follow me. Matthew 9, 9, Jesus is passing by, he's walking down the street and he sees a man called Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth and he says to him, follow me. And Matthew gets up and he follows him. After those two words, Matthew's life is never the same again. What's the difference between being a Christian and being a disciple is that we actually get up and we leave our place of where we came from and we go after him. Jesus has been saying these two words to us ever since, follow me. Whether you're a Christian in this room today or not, that's still the invitation from God from heaven to you and I every day is that what are you following? Are we following tradition? Are we following those years of tradition and culture? Are we following Christianity? Are we following religion? Are we just following going to church? Or are we following him? Maybe we're following our dreams. Maybe we're following our heart. Maybe we're following our ambition. But are we following him? You see, Jesus doesn't say follow in the way that most of us use that word today. So mostly now when we look at the word follow, we're thinking about social media, right? 
We're thinking about, oh, well, I follow this person on Facebook. I follow Andrew on Facebook, so therefore I know everything about Andrew's lives. Lives? <laughs> his, his life online and offline. Sorry, mate, you promised me not to say that. Share that. <laughs> you know, to follow someone onli uh, online, there's no real commitment. There's no intimacy. There's no accountability when I follow someone online. I can think I know everything about Andrew's life, but do I really? There's no real connection. In fact, there's just a transaction. All I've done is I've gone online and I've clicked a button. I've said, I follow Andrew. I follow him, I like him. And in doing that, I might even go around and say to people, well, do you know who I follow on Facebook? I follow Andrew Hulley. Do you know Andrew? He's a great man. Well, Facebook tells me he's a great man. And you follow him online, and we think that in that following, that that gives us some sort of connection, but it doesn't. And so many people treat Jesus like that, if we're honest. They say, well, I follow Jesus. But actually, they follow him in the way that a Facebook follow means, which has utterly nothing, just a transaction. But Jesus is not transactional. The Bible describes Jesus as covenantal. That means that he has made a promise to be with you and walk with you no matter what. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about following Jesus. We're not looking for more transactions with God. We're not looking to say, well, you know, God, I'll bring this and you give me that and I'll, I'll see you next Sunday. That is not what it means to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is covenantal. John 12, 26, Jesus is talking. He says, if anybody serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be too. Simple statement. So where Jesus is, there will be too. So if we say we're following Jesus, that means that we're going to be where Jesus is. And this is not the kind of following where we have to, Jesus is so far ahead that we'll never attain to him. And he, he's so far, and we've got to run after him. And it's like, God, please, 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 I'm coming after you. Please, one day I'll, re I'll reach you. One day I'll be connected to you. No, following Jesus is actually a side-by-side -side journey. A couple of weeks ago, we went to Oxford and we got, went to a place called Addison's Walk. Now, Addison's Walk is, if anybody's heard of C.S. Lewis, so C.S. Lewis, the guy that wrote all the Narnia and all that kind of stuff. C.S. Lewis basically went to Magdalen College. Is that how you pronounce it, Leah? Magdalen College. Thank you very much. Two points to me now. We're even. Uh, and basically, he went to Magdalen College, and he used to go walking with Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings. And C.S. Lewis and Tolkien used to go on this walk called Addison's Walk. And it's a one-mile loop around the college. Absolutely beautiful. But the thing about Addison's Walk is, is there's just enough room on the path for two people. And the reason why it's so significant is that there was one night, I think it was September 1941, and C.S. Lewis and Tolkien and another friend, uh, Dyson, they went on a walk, on a loop, and at that point, C.S. Lewis was not a Christian. He had not given his life to Jesus, didn't believe in God. But as they walked that one-mile loop, they began to talk and journey together. And in that conversation between Tolkien and Lewis, like, I wish I was there. We were walking on Addison's Loop, and I was like, I was like man, I wish that I was there. And you can almost like trying to listen to history and imagine what they talked about that night. But they talked about everything from poetry to God to faith. And as they're walking around this loop, something began to change and stir in C.S. Lewis's heart. So by the time he got to the end of that loop, he went home that night. 
The next day, he got up and went to the zoo, believe it or not. And he went to the zoo on a motorbike in a sidecar. This is a true story. And his, and his mate's driving the motorbike, and he says, I went to Whipsnade Zoo. If you've ever been to Whipsnade Zoo, it's, it's a brilliant place. And he says, when I left Oxford to go to Whipsnade Zoo, I wasn't a believer in Christ. I wasn't a Christian. By the time I arrived at the zoo, I was a Christian. So he actually gave his life to Christ in a sidecar on the way to the zoo. Why? Because the day before, the night before, he'd been wrestling. Something had happened in his heart as he's walking on this journey with Tolkien together. Something happened. Strongholds must have been broken. Barriers must have been removed. Eyes opened on that walk. And that's what it's like to walk with Jesus. It is not this far-off thing, the distant, where you don't get to really touch what's really going on in your life. Walking with Jesus is this wrestling. It's this wandering. It's this side-by-side journey. That's what discipleship really is. So I, I treading this path, I just had this epiphany. I was like, that's what it is. That's what we're doing. We're doing side-by-side journey with Jesus, and then we're doing side-by-side journey with each other. That's what it means to do church so when we're being led where are we actually being led to well you'd be forgiven wouldn't you based on what we observe in most places and even in our own church services that actually the goal where Jesus is leading us is to this place where we become even better attenders of church meetings (laughs) that's really the purpose of God is to become attendees not disciples you know I love this word uh, unchurched has he ever said so so Oh, well, Bill's in church today. He's unchurched. What on earth does that mean? And if, it's, if it really is a true statement that you can be unchurched, please, God, how do I become that? Because I want to become somebody who's unchurched because I've lived my whole life churched and I'm quite fed up of it sometimes. I don't want to be unchurched or churched. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. You know, Will uh, Mancini says this in his, his book. He says, basically, uh, he wrote, wrote a book called Future Church. He says that no matter what we say, we functionally teach people this. Go into all the world and make more worship attenders. Baptize them in the name of small groups and teach them to volunteer a few hours a month. (laughs) That's basically what we're saying. And you think, gosh, well, it's fine, but that doesn't get me up in the morning. You know what gets me up in the morning is what Andrew said earlier. He said this, he says that one day the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. That gets me up in the morning. Honestly, as I say, look at that. I've got goosebumps straight away because something inside me connects with this big picture of what God wants to do and he wants to use you and me in that glorious purpose of his. That's what it means to follow Jesus. But if we can't make disciples, sometimes I believe we settle for faking disciples. Jesus doesn't have a goal of church conformity. He wants us to become like him. That's the purpose of discipleship. Being a disciple is about loving Jesus, learning with Jesus, living for Jesus in the context of a Jesus-centered community with Christ-likeness as the goal. Where, Where are we going, guys? Where are we going in King's Church Loughborough? Where are we going in the church in the UK? Where are we going in the church around the world? Christ-likeness is our goal. That is the intention and the purpose. And actually, as we get hold of that vision and that mission, that's how the glory of God covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. We're all being shaped and formed by something. 
Think about it. You know, uh, a few weeks ago, James Crow spoke in. He spoke on uh, this great, great phrase, a disciple is made, not born. And that reminded me of that old, do you remember the old advert? I don't know if James mentioned it in his, his talk. The old advert, and I'm not very good with accents because they always end up Welsh. Sorry, go for Sandra. But it's, it's the, the Royal Navy promotional video. You remember that where basically the soldier delivers his catchphrases, I was born in Carlisle, but I was made in the Royal Navy. So there's a difference between being born and being made. See, all of us are born once, but then we're made a thousand times over. We're being made every single day of our lives. We're being shaped by, oh, we're being a thousand times over, we're being formed or maybe even deformed by the background that we have, by the challenges that we face, by our life experiences, by our encounters with people, by the education that we have, by the media we consume, by the algorithms that drive our social media usage and the influence of the culture around us. We're being molded daily into something. So the question for us as followers of Jesus is, what are you being shaped into? Are you becoming more like the world or are you becoming more like him? In his book, John Mark Comer, he said this, he said, spiritual formation is not just a thing for followers of Jesus. It's a human thing. All of us, everybody's being formed every minute of every day. We're all becoming someone. We're making daily choices to become someone intentional or unintentional, conscious or unconscious, deliberate or haphazard. We are all in the process of becoming a person. So if following Jesus means that we're going to become like him, if that's the goal, then it, we have to, we have to know him. The Bible says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me, John 10, 27. It's a simple statement, but it would seem that recognizing and knowing Jesus is very connected to following him, right? And actually, you're not going to choose to follow somebody that you don't know. So the more that we know him, the more we're going to follow him. So when we talk about knowing Jesus, right now I can know there's, there's a few people in this room who already are saying, yeah, yeah, well, I know Jesus. I've got that. I've got that clocked. And what happens is we approach with what's called a, a fixed mindset rather than a growth one. So we're coming to even today as we're sat in this room and we're worshiping God together and you're listening to me now, but you're going, I've got this clocked. I've done this. And so many of us, especially you've been a Christian for a while, you have that in your heart and your mind, and it becomes a blockage to us. In fact, uh, I work in education, same as Andrew. One of the greatest barriers to learning with young people is when the learner thinks that they already know what they're trying to be taught. So even today, as I'm saying, we're talking about following Jesus, you're saying, same old, same old. And we have a picture, an impression of Christ that's formed by whatever stage of journey we're on. But is that all there is? Is the Jesus that you have in your mind and in your heart and in your soul right now, is that it? Or is there something more? What if we were to take a fresh look at him today? You see, Paul said this. He said in Ephesians 3 verse 8, Although I'm the, the least of the Lord's people, a grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles. What did he preach? The boundless riches of Christ. So Paul was commissioned to go into the world and to speak of the boundless riches of Christ. The Greek word here translates as unsearchable. You, know, you can't just Google him and get all there is to know about Jesus. 
Another word for it is unfathomable. What a great word that is. My wife regularly says, I just can't fathom you today. <laughs> it means that there's no limits to the riches of Christ. They're past finding out. Try as we might, we can never plumb the depths of who Christ is and what he's worth to us today. So we, I could start talking now and finish at six o'clock tonight, which Andrew's probably afraid I'm going to do. And still we would not even have an inch of what it means to talk about who he is and what he's like so why have you got a fixed mindset about him why have you got it clocked because even paul the apostle didn't because he knew you can never get him pegged down you can never figure him out you can never put him in a box so maybe if you think you can fathom jesus this morning you probably don't know him as well as you think and this is what's been happening on my journey as we've been going through this period of change and transition my wife and I, we began to go back to the core of saying, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And what does it mean to know him, to fathom him, to try to grasp him? Because what happens is, as we say, maybe we say, well, I can never know him. Well, okay, you just don't know enough about him yet. Let's add that word into our equation. Suddenly our mindset moves from being fixed to being in growth again. I just don't know everything there is to know about him yet. And maybe I can spend my life on this relentless, passionate pursuit of what it means to know the one man, Christ Jesus, to know him in his suffering, to know him in his death, to know him in his resurrection power, to know him in the goodness of who he is and what he wants to do in this world. And that is where we fix our hearts. And as we fix our hearts on that, everything else, no matter how much change we're going through, falls into place. Bible says this, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, we with unveiled faces, that means that we're, we're fully revealed before God, we behold the glory of God and we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This word behold, it means to look intensely. So I want to invite you this morning, look intently at Jesus. You know, there's so many different facets of who he is, but there's probably two that have really struck me recently. One is just how gentle Jesus is in response to our weakness, our emotional vulnerability, our humanity. You know, it's okay to be real with Jesus. It's okay to say, God, I'm struggling. God, this is tough. God, I don't like this right now. This is hard. I'm in a storm. That's just okay with Jesus. It's more than okay. He expects it. I've been reading this great book. I'll recommend a couple of books. Uh, Dane Ortland, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. And basically what Dane does is he's essentially rewriting a 16th century Puritan book. So that's what you can do nowadays. You just take 16th century books, rewrite them and make loads of money. It's a little tip for you. Andy, that could be your next thing. <laughs> yeah, and, and this is what he says about, um, he's quoting John Bunyan in Come and Welcome to Jesus Christ. What a great name of a book, 16th century book. One of Bunyan's favorite verses was this, John 6, 32, all the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Everybody who comes to him, he's never, ever going to cast you out. Isn't that wonderful? It's that wonderful facet of King Jesus, just how gentle he is, his heart towards sinners and sufferers and those that don't have it all together. And apparently what the Puritans used to do is they would write whole books based off one verse, so this is what he summarizes about uh, the theology of this verse. He says, consider what Jesus says. He says, all, not most. 
Once the father sets his loving gaze on a wandering sinner, that sinner's rescue is certain. Then he says, the father, our redemption is not a matter of gracious son trying to calm down an uncontrollably angry father. The father himself has chosen our deliverance. He's the one who takes the loving initiative. Then he says, gives. That means not to haggle over. It's the father's deep delight to freely entrust rebels in the gracious care of his son. Isn't that incredible? We'll come. God's saving purpose for a sinner is never thwarted. He's never frustrated. He never runs out of resources. If the father calls us, he will come to Christ. And whoever comes. Yet we're not robots. While the father is clearly the sovereign overseer of our redemption, we are not dragged kicking and screaming to Christ against our will. Divine grace is so radical that it reaches down and turns around our very desires. Our eyes are opened. Christ becomes beautiful. We come to him and anyone, whoever is welcome, come and welcome to Jesus. We do not come to a set of doctrines. We do not come to a church. We do not even come to the gospel. All these are vital, but most truly, we come to a person, to Christ himself. That's how gentle and loving he is towards us this morning. And you know what? The second thing I've realized, and this will be great for some of us in the room, is he's so gentle, but also Jesus is wild. Jesus is wild. Do you know what? I, I want to go on a mission. I heard the Liz Trust, the, the um, politician wanted to go for it. She was talking about rewilding Britain the other day. Did you hear that? On the, 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 she's like, if I get into government, I'm going to do a survey on nature. And immediately my wife's like, oh, I'm going to vote for her. <laughs> a survey on nature. Who cares what's going on with petrol prices? A survey on nature. <laughs> She talks about rewilding, but I want to go on a mission. I want to say, let's start a campaign here in King's Church Loughborough on Sunday morning. Let's rewild Jesus. Can we rewild him together? To rewild something means to allow it to return to its natural state without interfering it and trying to add manufactured process into it. Basically, without getting in the way and messing it up. Can we rewild Jesus together? If we're going to, this is a, a, another quote from another book called Re-Jesus, which is basically about putting Jesus back at the center of the church. If we're going to re-Jesus the church and remake it in our founder's image, we have to go back to the daring, radical, strange, wonderful, inexplicable, unstoppable, marvelous, unsettling, disturbing, caring, powerful God-man. The communities around us are crying out for him. What an interesting juxtaposition between the wildness of Jesus and how the world around us is so desperate for the wildness of him. We have domesticated him. We have sanitized him. We have put him in a box for so long as the church. Yet Jesus is saying it's time to rewild again. It's time for me to be let out of the box of our religious nature and trying to be restored back to who he is in our midst. Jesus demands a second look. When was the last time that you were offended by Jesus? Because if you've not been offended by him, I want to suspect that you do not know him. This happened to me the other day. I was looking at a, an Instagram post that somebody had put up, and it was somebody that um, was talking, and they were boasting about something that they'd done. And as I saw this post, I thought, well, I've done that too. And in fact, the very same thing that they were doing, I'll be careful what I say, I was, I'd actually been involved in that 
just a few months before when they were boasting about it and saying, isn't this amazing what I'm doing? And I got full of it and I was like, God, why does that person get what I actually own? And suddenly I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit speak to me and said, huh, that's interesting. Because I thought you didn't own anything. I thought you were just a steward of it all anyway. Bang, boosh, bash. Don't like you, Jesus. When was the last time you didn't like Jesus? <laughs> because if you like him all the time, I suspect that maybe you fathom him a little bit too much. I was offended by him. I didn't like him for a good 10 minutes. Why? Because Jesus was telling me, putting me in my place. That's the kind of wildness that we need to restore back, where we allow Jesus to offend us again. Where we allow Jesus to correct us. We allow Jesus to say, hey, maybe you need to change your perspective because it's not the same as mine. So let's take a fresh look at him today. So Jesus is gentle and Jesus is wild. He's wild. He's gentle for you. And when you look at him, he surprises you at just how incredible he is. So what do we do when it comes to forming communities? And a couple of things before I finish. If we are really going to take a fresh look at Jesus, if we're going to allow him to be rewilded in our lives, there's a few things that we can do. Number one, we can go back to the book. We can reread to rediscover, not just the version you've heard before, the stories that you heard secondhand. So much of church life happens through another person. Jesus died on a cross to reconnect you directly with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you can go back to the book and you can find him again, not just the version that you think you know of him. Let me encourage you in, in our small group in, in church. We read, we took about three months to read John chapter 13 to John chapter 17. Just those, so it's from Jesus washing his disciples' feet through to him praying in the garden at the end. It was transformative for that group of people. What did we do? Here's a great strategy. We read the Bible together. And as we read the Bible together, we then began to discuss and pray. People were weeping as they began to realize that Jesus humbled himself to wash our feet. People were offended as they realized that the reaction of the disciples was actually the same reaction that we give. People were stirred as they found afresh again this Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying for his disciples that they would be warned. Basically, he's praying for us. Can I encourage you to go back to the book? Because just as you look at him again, not what you think you know, you'll find him afresh. Share stories with each other. Let's be a storytelling church. If we want to take a fresh look at Jesus, when was the last time that you sat with somebody and told them your story of when you encountered him, when you first found him, not just when you first found him, but what he's doing in your life today? We have to restorify the church and begin to storytell again about him. Tell stories about Jesus, what he's done in his life. And as we do this, we begin to magnetically orientate our conversation around him. Gareth touched on this last week. He talked about the road to Emmaus. And on the road to Emmaus, two people were walking along with Jesus. And as they began to talk with Jesus, they described, they said, didn't our hearts burn within us 
as we actually focused on him. Let's be a church that begins to have our hearts burn again within us as we talk about him, as we orient our conversation around him. When was the last time you had a conversation about Jesus outside of a program and setting where you were supposed to do it? Another great quote. We need to do this because of the hard times that we go through. At the end of the book, this Read Jesus book, they imagine, the writers imagine a scene between Peter and Paul. And Peter and Paul, they've been out doing the stuff and doing great things for God and the kingdom of God has been advancing. And basically, Paul grabs Peter and he says this. He says, hey, hey, Peter, in case our paths never cross again, can you tell me about him one more time? Because we remember Paul had never met Jesus in the same way that Peter had. So he's like, just, just, just tell me one more time about Jesus. And Peter smiles sadly and says, oh, Paul, you've heard these stories a million times and you tell them better than I do. And in their imagination, they see Paul lean towards his friend and say this, Peter, I've been beaten abandoned, betrayed, shipwrecked, and left for dead. It's hard to think of a church that I've planted that isn't in the grip of some crisis, personal or doctrinal. I'm not very well. I'm often hungry. The kingdom is unfolding slowly but surely. Ah, the things I've seen, but at times it feels so arduous. I long for the Lord as the watchman longs for the end of the night. And there are times when I wonder whether these small, struggling churches we're planting will become the movement that we dream of, even after all we've seen and done. Then Paul fixes his eyes on Peter and says, pleading, tell me again. Tell me again. Tell me again. Will we become a church that chooses to take a fresh look at Jesus, become the kind of people that say, hey, 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 just before we get into our stuff, tell me again. Tell me something new about Jesus. Can you help me find something of him? Because we need him. We long for him. And as we do that, may we find and discover Jesus in a fresh way again. Maybe you think today you know best how you connect with Jesus. Maybe you're like, well, I just love connecting with Jesus through being with people. I love connecting with Jesus through reading. I love connecting with Jesus through serving. I love connecting with Jesus by just being alone. I love connecting with Jesus by doing great things for God. I love connecting with Jesus by being out in creation. I love connecting with Jesus in worship. That's all fine. And that's all incredible and that's amazing. But maybe you think, well, I only do it that way. Well, I only connect with Jesus through musical worship. Well, I only connect with Jesus when I'm out on my own. I can only connect with Jesus with other people. Let me encourage you this morning. Take a fresh look at Jesus. Try something new. Try something you've never done before. Don't have a fixed mindset. Begin to believe again that we can find something more of this unfathomable fathomable Jesus. And as we do, I promise you as a church, as you decide to try something new together, maybe, just maybe, you'll find him again. One of the greatest commandments that Jesus left us was simply this. Remember me.
remember me because he knew that we were the world's most forgetful people. He knew that the challenges of life, the pressures of life, just the day-to-day, hey, just our own humanity would get in the way of rediscovering him. So he said to us, guys, remember me. And I suppose my prayer for us this morning, or my challenge is, which Jesus are you remembering? Are you remembering the one you thought you always knew? Or is there more for you? Shall we pray? Dear God, we pray that as we speak the name of Jesus this morning, that heaven will begin to move afresh. The angels begin to stir in this place. That even as we've talked about the ruling and reigning of God, we know that that ruling and reigning of the kingdom is extended through Jesus. So right now in this place where the rule and reign of God needs to come afresh, let it be in Jesus' name. For every mind and heart here, may they know Jesus afresh in this place. For those of us that think that we fathom him, may we know him even this week. Be unfathomable again. And I pray now in the words of Ephesians 3, 20 to 21, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is worked within us, may you, Jesus, have glory in the church and in your name through all generations forever and ever and ever. Amen. Do immeasurably more. Do immeasurably more in King's Church, Loughborough. Do immeasurably more in this city. Do immeasurably more in each family. Do immeasurably more in this nation, God, at this time. That as we lift the name of Jesus, would you draw all men to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.